You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, this morning. So let's turn to our next topic and guest of today. In the next 20 minutes or so, we're talking about ADHD and how we can recognize some of the signs and some of the symptoms. And once again, I'm really delighted to be joined by Dr. Andrew Adler, a licensed psychologist and also the director of the Adler Family Center. Welcome back on the program, Dr. Adler. Good to see you today. It's great to be here once again, Noreen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. How have you been doing? Yes, um, not too bad. A bit busy. I think the weather is still nice and warm, so that, that helps. Right. Well, in Hong Kong, the weather, I think, stays warm through, uh, through the end of November. Unless we disagree. experience a tor- torrential rain, then that often That's affects right. people. That's right. Hopefully, you're far away from the black rain. Hopefully. Exactly. While, exactly. So we, today, last time we spoke, we talked about autism and uh, it was a topic that that you know you also suggested about ADHD um, and 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 some of these common disorders that we see here in, in in Hong Kong. So let's back up. Let's go back right to the beginning. What is ADHD? Okay. So there again, like autism, which we talked about before, there are all kinds all kinds of material available online, in newspapers, in magazines, which are now of course often online. So, in the online world, you'll see lots of information. You'll even see tests. Take a test to see if you have ADHD. I've seen that before. Yes. And magazines. everybody comes out online as having magazines. ADHD. Now, so, and I haven't actually looked at those ads, or sorry, I said ads. What they actually are are promotional material for sometimes for drug companies. Sure. Sometimes they are for particular therapy, sometimes out of the mainstream. But there's usually an organization behind them which wants you to take the test so that then you link to, let's say, some information about ADHD, some kind of treatment, or whether it be medical or whether it be um, therapeutic. But at any rate, ADHD is really defined as significant problems with attention and concentration, being able to tolerate distractions in one's environment. That could include home let's say, while eating dinner. It could be in school while paying attention to a teacher speaking in the classroom or when one is reading classroom material. It can also include, in a work situation, when one has to do more mundane, uninteresting tasks. And one of the key parts to all this is that it's problems with attention and concentration in activities that one finds less interesting. So you'll see many children who are fixated and say they have to play video games. Literally, it's a need that they have. I won't talk about video game addiction today. There is something that I think that to that, but there are also a lot of kids who could be diagnosed with ADHD who are wonderful at paying attention for many, many hours when it comes to all kinds of video games. And now increasingly we're also seeing that with social media as well, or just the use of the phone. YouTube, for example. Exactly. So how do you sort of define the difference between someone with ADHD and someone who just maybe has a shorter attention span? Excellent question, Noreen. We have to look at where that short attention span, what's behind that? Sometimes people can be overwhelmed with stress and that can lead to periods of having a short attention span. I think we've all been through that. And procrastination, sure. And procrastination, which I'll talk about in just a little bit in terms of other attention-related issues, which certainly 
are part of the diagnosis of ADHD. It could be that, again, it probably depends on the severity. It does depend on the severity of the problem. They could also be related to problems with anxiety or depression or burnout that need to be addressed. So we need to look at some other possible reasons for the impaired attention. Yes. It's very unclear oftentimes when a person comes to me for an assessment, for example, of any age, what's behind the attention difficulties. When I was much younger, we used to call it ADD, and nowadays it's called ADHD. They That's added really the... just a nomenclature. Uh, I see. You know, uh, in, in the most recent version of the... It was most, attention deficit yeah, disorder before. been around 12, 15 yeah. years ago when they came out with the most recent version of the most widely accepted manual of psychiatric and, and related disorders, that they changed it to ADHD from ADD. Sure. Um, I'm not quite sure of the reasons for that. There are probably some cultural, political reasons. But we have two different main diagnoses. We have ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and then the three subtypes predominantly or mostly inattentive type predominantly or mostly overactive or hyperactive type and then third a mix between hyperactivity and inattention to be quite honest when the, I gave the definition a few minutes ago I didn't include hyperactivity because it's very rare statistically and from our experience to see hyperactivity meaning someone who's in motion all the time can't sit still can't keep one's body still you, you rarely see that in adults rarely you see that in younger children oftentimes I'll see adults and they'll describe a history of having had that experience or having been overactive as a child, but by the time they got somewhere in, in, somewhere in primary school, that seemed to disappear. So let's talk about some of the common signs of ADHD that you've seen in children. That's right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes it's picked up by teachers in the classroom when a child has difficulty attending to what is being said. That could be picked up in, uh, in kindergarten during circle time. A child is, is looking out the window or looking away. Or <laughs> Isn't that quite common to daydream, though? I'm just thinking, yeah, perhaps not all the time. It's, it's a question of severity. Sure. And is it happening once in a while? Or is it happening all the time? Is it happening in, during different activities? So, for example... Does it happen during circle time? Does it happen while engaged in a group activity or in solo activity? We see a little bit, we can better assess that. Although, I, again, I always believe, I always believe that children should, should be assessed at a young age. We can get a bit clearer sense of that when a child enters primary school and there are more academic demands, including learning how to read, how to write, how to do maths problems. You often will see that. Some of those problems, especially the, the, the more basic skills, are, are not that interesting, are not that enticing to children. You mentioned just now um, hyperactivity rarely sort of features. So is can't sit still um, a sort of criteria? You often hear people say, oh, you know, my child can't sit still. Um, they must have ADHD or something on the lines of that. You often hear that. You hear that usually around the younger children. They're not supposed to sit still. They're not supposed to sit still. It's the defining characteristic for most of these disorders, including ADHD, does it significantly interfere with one's functioning? 
You need to be able to sit still, for example, let's say going back to circle time in kindergarten where everybody sits around and the teacher reads a book and, or they sing a song. You need to be able to sit still to be able to attend to what's going on to be able to function. If you're chronically inattentive, not paying attention, and moving around or getting up and walking around the room or running around the room, then you're not going to be learning. So that we would consider to be significantly interfering. And again, it's not just once in a while, but on a more consistent, regular basis. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the assessments. How is that being assessed then? How do you make a diagnosis? Very carefully, like anything else. As I mentioned earlier, attention problems. And to a large degree, I think problems with in overactivity or hyperactivity can be the result of other difficulties, let's say anxiety. So people who are anxious often have a hard time sitting still, paying attention. And maybe sort of, yeah, fidgeting. Fidgeting with their hands, that's, that's, that's exactly true. So just by the behavior itself, we don't know enough. We need to do and gather, we need to do a full assessment and gather enough information to be able to determine, to be able to determine if this is really ADHD or if it's something else. It, it, can it be sort of confused with autism, for example? We talked about autism last time. Mm -hmm. Can there be similar signs or, or? Yes, indeed. Indeed, actually. There, there's actually a great deal of research that shows that, or let me back up for a moment. It can coexist along with autism. It can coexist. This would be a whole different discussion. But these diagnoses are really just labels. They're labels of a certain of certain uh, group of behaviors that seem to fit together to describe a diagnosis. So you could have multiple diagnoses. Oftentimes, especially with boys, we find that boys who are on the autistic spectrum also have concurrent ADHD to, to varying degrees. Can children grow out of ADHD? Is it something that they That's can That's unclear. Outweigh? That's unclear. Because, again, we're talking about a, a label of a certain set of behaviors. If it's significant enough, probably not. Not without some kind of intervention. But then, then I'll have parents or others point out to me that there are quite a few exceptions to that as well. So, but generally not. Generally, there needs to be some kind of intervention. Let me come back to the assessment for a moment because that's really important. I talked about this with you, Noreen, about with, with autism. It's a similar approach that we want to gather information from a variety of sources. We want to gather information from parents. So I'll meet with parents for about two hours to begin with, parents or, or other caretakers, guardians, for about two hours to get a good background, get examples of times when a child might be inattentive, and more generally, that child's psychological functioning and development. From there, I would go then, if possible, observe the child in a setting, as we talked before about with autism, being able to go into that setting, let's say a pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and observe the child anonymously. So the child doesn't know who I am. I go in kind of like a spy. It's like when I meet children later, I say, you know, I was spying on you in class. You didn't know who I was. Actually, occasionally they do. <laughs> they, they knew you were watching. They knew. I, I tried they to knew do, something was different. So yeah. I try to be invisible, but nobody can be totally invisible. And I try to, and you know, when I look around the class, when I'm observing a particular child, I try to keep my eyes moving. 
But so of course, I want to watch. observe the child. Yeah. So I don't know what their experience is. Uh, that's a real skill that you're having to keep your eye on the child, but also just not let that child catch your eye. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Some children are wonderful at picking up on the smallest of, of cues. I, I find it amazing. Most children, I don't think, know that I'm there for them. I think a lot of schools, especially in the international schools, are used to having visitors come in. And so I'm just treated like another visitor coming in. I also interview teachers. I have teachers fill out questionnaires. I have parents fill out questionnaires. And then I do several tests with each child. I do a test of IQ, which looks at one's academic abilities. And then I do a test of achievement, which looks at what one has actually achieved academically. And while doing that, I observe a a child. So we talked about ADHD being most obvious when a person is doing something that is mundane or boring. So if a child finds maths quite boring, which many children do, to be quite honest, I want to see how does a child respond to doing a long series of maths problems? Are we seeing more of that inattentive behavior during that time that will give us more evidence? that there is something going on there. Yeah. Um, so what is the consequence of sort of untreated ADHD? The research shows us, and we know also from just experience as parents and as clinicians, that there is sort of a classic trajectory from ADHD to what we call, again, these are just labels, oppositional defined disorder, um, not following rules, getting into arguments very easily. And then if that is not addressed, say maybe in the teenage years, that's just choosing a particular period, that's not as sometimes, not always, sometimes we see more serious problems than as an adult. We could call that a conduct disorder. Sometimes it's antisocial behavior, which can be quite serious, obviously. Okay. Um, what types of treatments are available then for, for, for someone who's been diagnosed with ADHD? So... This is a bit controversial. It, it, it is. Sometimes it is. people talk about medication. For medication example. is often talked about. Yes. And what I can tell you from research and from my experience as well, that the attention-related issues per se, if, they're, if they truly are interfering with functioning in the classroom, medication often is important to consider. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a a medical professional in the sense that I can prescribe medication. I would refer to one of the several excellent psychiatrists that I work with, who I've been working with for years, who can make that judgment and that call by a recommendation to a parent. Parents cannot be forced to put their child on medication. Parents have the right not to do that. If the child is on a medication, can they sort of come off it at any time? Well, that would be the goal eventually for them to come off of it. But yes, they can come off of of most of the medications that are prescribed. They're short acting enough. They don't stay in the bloodstream all that long. So that that, that is not so much the issue. With any medication, we can't, I mean, this is just in general, we don't know the possible long-term effects. That's why we want to be cautious and conservative even when I make a referral to a psychiatrist, because they, they're all types of medical professionals in Hong Kong, some of them are just frankly more competent than others. And there are some wonderful people here. There are a lot of people who are not so wonderful too, who would just prescribe medication after seeing a child for 10 or 15 minutes. 
I know you, you made a face. You, you can't see that on, on a podcast or on air, but you made a face. That that happens a lot. I can't believe and it. And it could actually be multiple medications, which is rarely ever indicated for something like this. There are also, again, when I do an assessment, I will make a variety of these recommendations. There are things that, that can be done in the classroom to improve attention. For example, it's sort of the classic ones are moving a child closer to the front of the class, moving the child away from other children who might be distracting, pairing a child with a good role model. The other set of, of changes that can take place in the school, and the, I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't believe in international schools or local schools that these are mandated at the way they are in the U.S. and maybe a number of other countries, that a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD can also get what we call accommodations. Accommodations are fundamental changes to how we assess children and how we ask them to complete assignments. So that could include 25 to 50% more time on tests and other assessments. It could be uh, an assessment being taken, taken in a place that is quieter, distraction-free, it also can mean that the child might be able to type something where something, the child has difficulty writing. Something the education system could really explore. Well, yeah. they, they, they do uh, in schools that are receptive to these kinds of accommodations. These aren't mandated accommodations, so nobody can tell a school that they have to give them. I would say most international schools do have some kind of accommodations and they are more than willing to put those into place. That's been my experience, at least in Hong Kong. Yeah. Well, Dr. Adler, once again, thank you so much for answering all our questions. And I look forward to having you back on next time again. And remind our listeners once again, have you got a website and are you on social uh, media? Yeah, of course. Who isn't on social media these days? And yes, I'm on Facebook. And you could just type in Adler Family Center or my name, Andrew Adler. Um, if you just Google me on Adler Family Center, you will find then my website. It'll pop up right away. And please go in and look at my website. Look at more about my background. I have more information about ADHD and other diagnoses. And, yeah, so, so, and always glad to talk with parents. There is no obligation if you talk with me to actually go through with an assessment or with counseling or therapy. I'll be glad to talk to any parent about almost anything. Thank you so much for your time again. Thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure, Noreen. Yeah.